Okay, so I just watched or read about and watched a video about uh, the prophet Jonah. And one thing I want to say specifically that just like struck my mind as soon as I said that was that prophets, God's prophets nowadays, like God specifically, I think I'm specifically getting the word. That I, spe- I think I remember specifically getting the word from God that, you know, no one today is like the prophets he once had. No one today. That's just period. Because it's not even that the world has changed. We're only doing the same thing that they they were doing back then. If you read the Bible and actually go through it. And, you know, you read about all the different things that God has dealt with. It tackles everything that we deal with today. So nothing has really changed. It's just that no one, I guess, is willing to do the work. That's maybe the only thing that's changed. No one is willing to do the work. There's no more, you know, false gods or avenues away from God than there was back then. Back then they had a million different gods they worshiped and created on a daily basis. They had a million different things that they did to turn away from God. And God tackled all of that. He tackles all of that in the Bible. But as far as, you know, our dedication to him, when we do choose him, that's probably what the difference is. And I don't even want to say that's the case, because if you read first and second Corinthians, it also talks about that. It talks about the people who follow God for, you know, validation from others. The Pharisees and the scribes also did that with Jesus. And then it talks about, you know, people who are in the church and they are just, you know, lost. They're lost in the church. And they need God to help them out of that, but they're not, you know, applying themselves correctly. So in order to get through that, you need to apply yourself correctly to God with a genuine and contrite heart. So it talks about all of that. So it's like, it's almost like it's nothing different. It's really nothing different if you're speaking on terms of um, the world that we're living in and the people in it. Just because it's a bunch of technology does not mean that, you know, back, you know, in Noah's days that we weren't the same people. We were the same people. We just have devices we carry now. And that's another reason why I tend not to put a lot of, you know, this responsibility on the devices, even though I know they play a part. But regardless of whether it's a technological device or a fishing rod, we still idolize it the same. And it's not about the device. It's about what you put into it. I remember the Lord telling me that specifically. I said, Lord, am I not supposed to love movies? If I, am I not supposed to want to be on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, etc.? The Lord said, it's not the song. It's not the movie. It's not the device. It's what you put into it. It's how you use it. So when you're putting it over me, when you think of it over me, when you can't, you know, choose me over whatever it is that you're doing, whether that be money a pet, you know, a device, a person, a song, a movie, you know, a quote, whatever it is, whatever it is in your life that you're putting over me, that you love more than me, that you are choosing over me, that you don't, that I'm, if I'm not in that top spot always, it's everything. It's anything. It doesn't, nothing is different from back then. Back then they may have, you know, idolized sticks you know they maybe they didn't have techno technological you know devices but they would throw sticks you know in a certain way and then they would read the sticks and the sticks would be able to tell the future for them while they worship false gods and what is the difference between that and the astrology that we read every day and there's so many different things like that like that we do especially with makeup and with you know 
money. Money is the most obvious. But the books, a lot of people think that just because you're reading, it's a good thing. No, you you know, you can read bad things. There are, you know, just because you're reading doesn't make it a good thing. Or even sometimes with the Bible, because we take it out of context and we and we place our own, you know, we twist the words and we pervert the meanings that God made. Like, for example, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but this is a bit on my heart. For example, with... um. With Pastor T.D. Jakes, he spoke on how he believed that David was gay. He said that David was a homosexual and that he was Jonathan's lover. That him and because because the Bible said that Jonathan and David loved each other greatly. And even though David married Jonathan's sister, he claimed that, well, he felt that maybe Jonathan and David had something going on that he was gay. The funny thing about it is as I read through this scripture in the Bible when I came across it and it had nothing to do with Pastor T.D. Jakes. Literally, that's what the devil tried to tell me, too. So I cannot even blame him because the devil really, 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 really tried to get me to believe that when I tell you that when I came across this, it spoke about when Saul started going through, you know, these he had these evil spirits placed on him and he started, you know, the Holy Spirit was removed from him. The um. The anointing of God was removed to him, removed from him and placed on David. And he started going crazy. He didn't know what to do with his life. And the only thing that would soothe him was music or he tried everything. And then they sent David. And the only thing that would soothe him was David's music. So the one thing that, you know, that the devil tried to get me to believe was that back in these days, you know, kings would call for young men because they were into young men. Because they actually dealt with young men and it wasn't considered gay back then. It was just something that they, you know, participated in. And that is true for the pagans. And granted, David was wrong. He had violated and was disobedient to God. But he he definitely did not live a pagan lifestyle. So the problem with that logic is that it's perverted. When they say that Jonathan loved David greatly, you have to look at it from a way of Jesus. They also said that Judas kissed Jesus on the mouth before he betrayed him over to his very enemies. Does that make Jesus gay? When it also says that Jesus liked Mary and Jesus was celibate. And you, if you wanted to twist anything or pervert anything in the Bible, then you would say that Jesus was gay because Jesus never married a woman. Jesus never had kids, even though he liked Mary. They never were intimate. And then Judas and all his other brothers are like Peter and Timothy and, you know, all of these different people. They also kissed Jesus on the mouth. It was formal to kiss Jesus on the mouth. And you might say, ill men kissing men on the face, on the mouth. It's because back then his love was so, I want to say back then, but Jesus's love was so pure and unperverted that you can kiss him on the mouth and it would not be sexual. Why do we automatically associate these things with sexuality? Because we're already perverted by this sinful world. So with David and Jonathan, when the Bible says that Jonathan loved David greatly, it makes it seem as if they loved each other more than just friends, more than just brothers. They were brothers. Look, think about your brother. Think about your brother that's not related to you, that you've grown up with, that you love like a brother that you would die for. Think about him. You know, is it gay for you to love him like that? Is it gay for you to be there for him? Is it gay for you to love your brother? 
No, you still have a wife, you still have a girlfriend, you still have girls you like, etc. It's not gay. That's what real true love is like. You love each other greatly. A lot of reasons, another thing that I noticed that the devil tried to plan in my head, how David and Jonathan snuck off alive. They spoke about how David and Jonathan snuck off a lot and spoke to each other in secret and how Jonathan, you know, would be, you know, one of the main people fighting for David even more than not even more than his wife because when he married his sister she also fought hard for him but just not as hard as Jonathan did Jonathan truly loved David you know but that's supposed to be when you pervert that in your mind when the devil allows you when you're perverted not perverted excuse me when you allow the devil to pervert and twist things in the bible in your mind as you're reading them then you're listening to the things he's saying and he's a liar he is a liar David was not gay because if he were gay, the Bible would say that. Now, we always add things that we want to add and take away things we want to take away. But the Bible says if anybody is to add or take away anything from this Bible, they are subject to the plagues in it. And the Bible does not say that David was gay, so he wasn't. What makes you think that God would have a problem saying that when he said that in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, they raped men. They had sex with men. They tried to rape the angels actually sent to burn down the place that were men. Remember, Lot tried to give his two virgin daughters and they rather have the angel men to rape them. And we need to understand that God has no problem telling it how it is. He has no problem telling you about sodomy, which is homosexuality. He has no problem telling you about gay men being with gay men. He had no problem ever talking about that. Jezebel, she, um, Jezebel was an evil woman and she manipulated her man. So that today would be seen as the simp thing, right? God has no problem talking about the problems that we deal with today. And back then they're no different. And for example, with, um, with Herod and Herodias, she gave her niece to dance for her, you know, her husband and, or excuse me, she gave her daughter to dance for her husband and it was really his niece. And he was so drawn by her dancing, which was, you know, I don't want to pervert that either. He was so drawn by her dancing that he offered to give her half of his kingdom. Now, somebody would look at that. Also, I heard the devil trying to talk to me here this time, around this time I was reading this too. Somebody would look at that and say that, you know, Herod was a pervert. Why was he looking at his niece like that, Right. And almost you want to believe that, but the only reason that I couldn't let that pervert me, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons I did not let that pervert my mind is because when you look back on it and you think about it, think about how John only spoke the truth. John only spoke the truth. John only talked about what was real and what was true. So with John and, you know, how he would call Herod out, the reason why John ended up in Herod's prison cell in his kingdom, or excuse me, in his home was because he called Herod out for marrying his brother's wife, Herodias, and his brother was not even dead. So he called them out in their sin and that's why he ended up in their prison. Herod would always sneak downstairs Every single day to listen to John talk for hours because he loved to hear John talk. Even though John told it how it was. 
John would condemn him. John would tell him how wrong he is. Excuse me, not condemn him. That's a that's a ill choice of words. But John would tell him all the wrong he's committing and all of his sin and how he needs to get it together. And Herod loved to listen to John for hours. Does that sound like a man who, you know, even though he's wrong, doesn't know he's wrong? Doesn't know the difference between right and wrong? And it's not that just because he listened to John, that means that he's not capable of committing the sin still because he did. It's just the fact that this man had a conscience. He had a conscience enough to actually like what John was saying, to appreciate it for what it was. And if you don't care, if you don't have a conscience and you don't have a heart, you would never appreciate somebody like that for what it was. Take Herodias, for example. Herodias, she knew she was wrong, but she hated to hear that. Uh, the Bible says someone who despises correction is a fool. He who despises correction from the from God is a fool. So Herodias, she didn't even want to hear it. She wanted to kill John and she asked for his head and she stopped at nothing. She was conniving. So. With all of this, you know, the devil tries to pervert you to pervert your mind. The devil tried to pervert my mind and make me say make me say think that, you know, um, Herod was a pervert for looking at his niece like that. For wanting that dance from his niece, he 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 fawned over her, and it's not it was not you know custom for him to look at a young girl like that. And then Herodias, seeing how Herod looked at his niece and didn't look at her like that anymore, used her niece's attractiveness in order to seduce him, in order to get John's head on a platter because otherwise he wouldn't have killed John because he appreciated John's knowledge. He appreciated John. He liked John. So she otherwise wouldn't have been able to get him killed. But the problem with that is if that were specifically true, that Herod was a pervert, that's what God would have said. He would have said Herod was a pervert. Now, you can try and put all these different details together and make it that. But if that's not what he specifically said, that's not what it is. He specifically says what he means. And he means what he says. So why are we twisting his words? That's what we do because we are sinful. We make mistakes and we are not perfect. We can't take God's word for what it is because we already are sick in the spirit because the devil has already sunk his claws into us the first time we made a mistake. We have demons that are blocking our ability to see and hear God for who he is. And if they they will stop at nothing. So it's not it's not different. Excuse me. It's not surprising or shocking that we would be able to twist and even pervert the word of God. Even the word. That is simply spelled out. And the only way I feel like the way the only way I feel like you can even eliminate those type of issues is to take it for exactly what it is. Don't add anything from your own mindset. You do see, this is how people twist it. And this is how people get caught up. They say, well, everybody understands the Bible differently. Excuse me. That much is true. Everybody does understand the Bible differently. But that's based off of your relationship that you've built with God. And you have to be very, very careful that you are listening to God. When you are reading this Bible, because the devil is there too. They say that we have to, res we have to 
put on the full armor of God so that we can resist the wiles of the devil. Because there are principalities and powers in the spirit realm. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness. Principalities and powers of darkness in the spirit realms, in the heavenly realms. You know what that means? That means when you go into the heavenly realms, when you're praying, the devil is there praying on you. For the devil prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. So you have to be very, very careful what you're listening to and how you're allowing the pervertedness of your mind from being in this sinful world. And you're applying it to God's pure word. It's pure. It's not perverted. If he meant that, that's what he'd say. Go back to Sodom and Gomorrah when he talked about how they had sex with men and raped men. And there was men on men relationships. And they said, you know what they said specifically? They said, we are allowed to take our destiny into our own hands. We don't believe that there is a God that's in control of all of our destinies. And we don't have control of our own destinies. That's why we don't believe in God. That's what they said. What's different from then and now? So that being said, if God was able to mention and even in Corinthians, Paul said a lot of these sinful things that go on in this world is even it's it's so, you know, you are ashamed to even speak of it. But you have to for the sake of educating these people, for the sake of getting God's word across to this to these people. So for, you know, God to say that, you know, they raped men in Sodom and Gomorrah. They had sex with men willingly in Sodom and Gomorrah. They participated in sinful ways all throughout the night. That, for me, is the LGBTQ community. They are having sex with children in Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes, he talked about that, too. If he could mention that, why wouldn't he mention if David was gay? What makes you think that God hides anything or is lying? Because that's a form of lying when you hide part of the truth, when you don't tell the whole truth. People like to, you know, when de- when the devil does things, he's so slick because he's trying to get you to doubt God's character. Even when you think you're being honest and taking things for what it is, you find out that the devil is really just trying to get you to doubt God's character and who he is. Because if God had no problem saying, telling about how they had sex with children in Sodom and Gomorrah and they raped men, men raping men. He had no problem talking about that and why he burned it down to the ground. Then why would he ever have a problem saying if David was gay with Jonathan or not? He was not gay. There was such a love that exists and it still exists, it still exists today where you love your brother like a brother. And you love him so much that you are willing to risk everything for him and it's not gay. And a lot of people see that as gay because the devil wants you to believe that to keep you from doing what is necessary. That kind of love saves lives. That kind of love, you know, actually helps people get over to God. That kind of love keeps people from stumbling. That kind of love helps us come together as a whole. And as long as, you know, they can keep you from that, as long as they're telling you that's gay, then they will keep you from loving your brother correctly and doing what's necessary. David was able to change lives in his lifetime because of his love of God and because of his love of his people. So when they're able to keep you from either of those, you need to understand that's just a way for the devil to create a setback and a delay in your life. We need to stop seeing things in a perverted way. 
Imagine you have a brother who's always been there for you. Even when you would, y'all both starved together. Y'all had nothing to eat together. Y'all fought together. Y'all made it out of the mud together. And for somebody to tell you that that's gay for you to love him, how would you feel? Or if you have a sister and your sister, it's, it's the same thing with your sister. Y'all have starved together. Y'all have made it out together. Y'all have had to get to this point and it wouldn't be for without each other. Y'all have so many different memories where you guys have held each other up and kept each other from stumbling or falling or crumbling. And you would not be here if not without them. And if somebody tells you that's gay, first of all, I'm going to tell you straight up from my opinion, from my perspective, I would not care. I would not care. I know I'm not gay. I know that's not gay. You're, you know, clearly reaching and not even only are you reaching, you're projecting. Like maybe you're gay or not. I won't even say that. Sorry, I take that back. But maybe you feel like the only way that somebody would ever love you that much is if they were gay, is if they were interested in you in a, you know, sexual manner because you never had anybody that loved you that much without that type of, you know, experience. They were interested in you. That's why you perverted and you twisted and I feel sorry for you because you deserve the kind of love that comes unconditionally. Not just because they're interested in you in any kind of way, but just because they love you for who you are. And if you had ever experienced that, then you would be able to see that that does exist without actually, you know, being gay. And that's what happens when you pervert the Lord's love and his ways. Because we don't kiss each other. Men don't kiss each other on the mouth, you know, nowadays. I'm not saying that, you know, everybody should just start kissing each other on the mouth. All I'm saying is that if we had ever experienced such a love like Jesus, if we knew what that love was really like without being perverted and twisted in the, in the ways that it is now, men kissing each other on the mouth wouldn't be so crazy. Now, today we have so many, we have so much sin and it's so perverted in this world and it's made, excuse me, it's made to look okay to be gay. So when you kiss somebody on the mouth, that's, you know, a fair assumption. But I'm telling you that if you knew who Jesus was and if you knew his love, his, the love he really possesses where when he loves you and he gives you all the love that you need, even if it be romantically. He can even love you romantically and it has nothing to do with your body. It has nothing to do with sex. And let's say even it could have something to do with your body. It's still not sexual. Because Jesus, he possesses the power to love you so perfectly. But if your mind is perverted, if your mind is twisted to where every single time someone touches you in a certain manner, or kisses you in a way or in, in a certain place. Wow, when places to kiss people become off limits. Now, I get it. Certain places that you kiss people, of course, would definitely definitely be off limits or seem, not seem, but definitely be seen as, you know, sexual. Like, for example, if you kiss somebody on a private parts, excuse me if it sounds like I'm getting out of hand, but that's what I'm saying. That's a perverted mindset. The thing about it is... If you knew who somebody is, it's not based off of where they kissed you or how they kissed you. It's based off of who that person is and the intent that they had behind it. That's what it is. We need to stop projecting onto others before we know their intent. 
We can't see their intent because we've already assumed what their intent is. If I went and I kissed my sister or my mother or my father or my brother on the mouth, it's not seen as sexual. That's not sexual because that's my family and I love them and we know what that is. We don't kiss each other on the mouth. But if we did, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be seen as sexual. That's not sexual. Because we know better. We know that if I ever wanted to be sexually intimate with anybody, I could find a man and do that with. That's outside of my family. You know, so when you automatically place these stigmas on your family, when you automatically place these stigmas on people, that's your intent. It's about your intent, not theirs. Now, somebody can come and kiss you on the hand right now. And if you think that their intent was to woo you in a romantic manner, and I mean, as far as, you know, in the future, wanting to be sexual, want to be, wanting to be intimate in that manner. Then you would say, you know that because that's their intent. But if Jesus was to come and kiss you on your hand romantically, and it be just to show you that you are worthy, you are loved, and you are valuable to Jesus who loves everybody, you would know what his intent was. We have to check that at the door. We place our own project. We project onto People, we place our own perversions onto these Bible stories that are pure in nature. Now, that being said, you might say, well, every Bible story is not pure in nature. Every Bible story is pure in nature because what you see is what you get. What it says is what it is. Now, if you want to compare to somebody who has who is actually gay and you feel like God wouldn't mention it, if that be necessary, you need to look back at Sodom and Gomorrah and a couple other a couple of other situations in the Bible where God clearly mentions homosexuality and it being against what he actually has, you know, it being disobedient, excuse me. It being against his teachings. It being against his word and his way. So God has made that clear. How he feels about that. So when it comes to David and Jonathan or any other man in the Bible and God didn't clearly say he's gay. Don't say he's gay. He's not gay. God didn't say that. That's not what it is. And that's what's been on my heart with Pastor T.D. Jakes. I never condemned him for that. I never judged him because I said to myself, he's a pastor and I've listened to his sermons. And he has a lot of good things to say and he does a lot of good works as far as saving people. I see it. But I also can see this goes back to the prophet because we have different definitions of who's prophets now. And like I said, no prophet. God told me no prophet today is like the prophets he's ever had. But no prophet is like each other either way. Every prophet is unique and has their own unique journey. Period. But that being said, you know, whether somebody would call me a prophet or anointed or, you know, just a demon hunter or whatever it is that they feel like calling me, that's up to them. That's on them. You know, I know what God calls me. I know who God sees me as. And that's really ultimately all that matters. But if I'm assuming the position as a prophet, and I'm not even going to say that, never mind that. But just a lot of times, a lot of things that I do are prophetic. A lot of times the different messages that I get from God, it feels like they are definitely with the spirit. I definitely have the spirit of prophecy. So with that being said, you know, when I, when I read into, not read into TDJs, but when I, you know, actually sought the Lord about him, 
it seemed as if he actually is, you know, anointed. He is anointed by God. The only problem with him is he is too of the world. He's too of the world. And I hate to say that because I remember growing up and T.D. Jakes really saving my faith on so many different occasions. On so many different occasions, Pastor T.D. Jakes has saved my faith. But the problem with that is that his name is so known and it's so popular and it's so big because of his willingness to compromise. He's compromising. He wants his, you know, kingdom and his mansion here. He's not really storing up his treasures in heaven. And that's a problem. Well, he is, excuse me, I take that back. He is storing up his treasures in heaven, but not in the manner that he should. He'd rather, you know, seek validation of the from the world. He'd rather seek validation from his flesh. He'd rather have a mansion here. He'd rather have money here. He'd rather have endorsements here. He'd rather be on TV here than actually be who the man he's supposed to be in heaven to God in the kingdom of God. And that doesn't mean he's leading people astray because you have a, a responsibility as a believer to seek God in everything that you learn and know. I do that myself. You can somebody can bring you in, somebody can pray for you, somebody can help you get to him, but once you get to him, you ask him yourself. You read the Bible for yourself. You find out on your own. You can't keep living off other people's prayers. But the problem with this is that T, that's that's the problem because T.D. Jakes almost is banking on the people who do. Banking on the people who's not seeking him for themselves. Banking on the people who are living off of others' prayers. When they're not seeking him, the Lord, for themselves, then they cannot see T.D. Jakes for who he is. That he has been compromised. So that being said, I'm not, I don't want to take away from all he has done. But that doesn't mean that we ignore what he is doing. So, you know, in order to be in a million dollar arena and fill up all the seats, I'm going to compromise a little bit of my sermon when I know that the Lord wants me to teach these people about this. When I know that the Lord wants me to send a different message, when I know that the Lord wants me to, why did T.D. Jakes come out and say he's supportive of the LGBTQ community? Now, I heard what he said and I watched the video for myself because you have to get it from the source. And what he said was, why reject them if you actually want to help them and you're not actually creating an environment that they can come into and get help? Then that doesn't make you're not doing anything. You're not making sense. And I completely understood that. But the problem with what he said was that he's actually willing to condone them maintaining their LGBTQ lifestyles in his presence and in his church. Now, you actually want to create an environment for them to come and seek change if they want it. Absolutely. I understand you are amazing for that. You are amazing for being the person to say that you actually want to create an environment that they can come into. And if they so decide to change and do better, that's what you want. You want it to have created that environment and for, for them to come into and get that word to begin with. But the problem with that is he's actually also admitting that if they never decide to so change... He's okay with that too. 
And the thing is, you can't force anybody to change. He also said that you can't force anybody to live any kind of lifestyle. And he and the Lord never forced anything, any of his teachings on anybody. He wants you to choose him willingly. He will never cause you to force anything or anyone. Yes, absolutely. The Lord is against you forcing anybody into Christianity. If it's forced, he don't want it. That's the devil. That's what the devil does. But the problem with that is, are you actually going to house a church where LGBTQ couples and relationships are thriving? In your church where you're preaching in the Bible, word for word, that God says that's wrong. I'm not saying kick them all to the curb. What I'm saying is if they're in your church, they should be wanting to change or you should be creating an environment. That they're actually, you know, building towards changing, working towards changing. You cannot force them. But if you're actually going to create an environment where that's okay, that's not okay. That's not okay. I don't care what you say. At the end of the day, it's like, listen, I love you. I'll always love you. And who am I to judge you? All sin is equal. That's what it is. I'll never try and force anything on you. I'll never try to force your lifestyle. I'll never try to force anything to change for you. But if you're around me and you're actually accepting this word that I'm getting from God and into your heart, that change should be happening sooner than later or sooner or later. And if it's not happening, then are you really listening to me? Am I really doing my job? That's the thing. And I feel like that's him also kind of admitting. And I don't want to also put words in his mouth like I don't put words in the Bible. I don't want to add things to him, but it also feels like, you know, he's almost saying, you know, that he is not doing his job. As a pastor, you're supposed to be teaching right from wrong. And if you are saying that in the Bible, David was gay, you're pretty much condoning homosexuality. Absolutely not. Because somebody can go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Somebody could go back to, what was that? I don't want to quote the uh, chapter in the verse. Excuse me. I, I'm still learning. So I'm not saying I'm perfect. But what I'm saying is what I'm getting in the words. I feel like the messages I'm getting from the Lord. Somebody can go back to Noah's day and read about Sodom and Gomorrah and clearly see that God was so against that, that he burned their whole entire city to the ground. So why wouldn't he burn John, David and Jonathan's city to the ground just the same? Are you insinuating that God picked and chose when he wanted to enforce right from wrong because that's not the God I serve. The God I serve is perfect in all of his judgments. He doesn't overlook a thing out of convenience because nothing is convenient for him. It's convenient for us. Yes, he's merciful and yes, he's gracious, but there's no way in the world God is going to overlook mentioning that David and Jonathan is gay, but he didn't overlook mentioning that those men in Sodom and Gomorrah were gay. You put that on that yourself. And where does it say that? Now, I get you. You got your own idea from it. And I get that he got a lot of backlash from this. And I don't want to be another one of those people who seem like they're just joining in a fight. I hate to sound like, you know, I hate to be that person that feels like I'm joining in, jumping on, jumping on somebody. Because, you know, I've been jumped. I know what that feels like. And I don't like it. You know, if anything, I will hold my opinion. I will feel the way I feel. Hold my opinion, whatever. What I've learned, keep it to myself because, you know, whether unless God put it on my heart to tell you, 
I keep it to myself because I don't want, you've already heard whatever it is I'm going to say. If I heard somebody else saying it, you know, okay, it's done. He said what I was going to say. I'm not special. You don't need to hear it from me specifically. But as far as if I feel like it's something you haven't heard yet, if as far as if I feel like it's something that is specific to me, I haven't heard. I don't know what you've heard. But if I feel like there's something that I that is new that I have to say that is on my heart. Yeah, I'll say it. But nevertheless, that does not matter because when it comes down to it, these pastors aren't the way Jesus is. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. They are just, you know, paving the way. They are just, you know, like, what do you call it? Gate. Now I want to say gatekeepers. They're not even gatekeepers. They are just, you know, helpers. They're only helping. They're only sent to help. Now, whether you choose a pastor that actually helps or not, that's on you. Because you should already have the spirit of God in you to discern that. And if you don't have that, you need to pray to God and ask for the spirit of wisdom and discernment. That's really on you. But I'm not going to say that him preaching all this to all these people, that hit, that blood is not on his hands. Because the Lord also said, preach to my people the truth. Otherwise, their blood is on your hands. And if you do not preach to my people the truth, or if you do preach to my people the truth and they reject it, then your hands are clean. But you need to do it to begin with. So that's, you know, that's that. But as far as Jonah... With the prophet Jonah. So there's many different prophets. Like I said, every each and every single last prophet is unique. As far as the word from God, where no prophet today is like the prophets back then. You know, I, I'm debating that because it feels like, no, I know that God is saying that there's no difference from then to now. Simply put, there's no difference. Everything that's in the Bible, you can find something in the Bible to apply today to what you're going through today. Nothing is really different. We're the same people. We do the same thing. We commit the same sin. And as much as we try to think that we're doing something new, it's already been done. But the fact of the matter is, you know, with Jonah. So I when I when I originally heard about Jonah's story, I I just I fell in love with Jonah's story because I felt like with Jonah, you know, he actually stood up to God. And I'm not going to lie that I feel like I have to be careful with that because Satan always wants to put that spirit of rebellion and that spirit of stubbornness in you. Where you're rebelling against God and his word when you know, when you know, when you're, when Satan's not tampering with anything, you know in your heart of hearts that God's judgments are always real and always right. And why should anybody have to stand up against them if it's already perfect? That's why they're not standing up against him. He's perfect. And when you understand that, then you don't have an urge, you don't have an itch to stand up against God or go against what he's saying. That's for somebody who is already rebellious and rebellion is seen as witchcraft. So I be, I'm careful of that spirit, but with Jonah, it was refreshing because it feels like God touches all the bases. He doesn't skip anything. God is not skipping anything. God is being completely transparent and clear about everything. You can find anything, any word for any situation you may ever face in life in the Bible. And that's not even everything. Because the Bible also says that if they wrote everything that Jesus did in his life, it would be too much to put into a book. So 
that being said, you know, that's everything summed up and perfectly placed, perfectly worded. God did that. So with Jonah, I felt refreshed because I felt like this is something that's refreshing where it feels like because some people, a lot of people and the devil will definitely try to get you to believe that God's not going to talk about, you know, when people don't agree with him. God's not ever going to acknowledge that, you know, some people are against him because he doesn't want anybody to be against him. And it seems like God would ever would only be teaching and convenience. Absolutely not. So I feel like that validates that God does not teach inconvenience. There's different people in the Bible all the time who have not agreed with his word, who haven't agreed with the things that he's chosen, and they have handled it in a manner that they've handled it. And God showed mercy, he showed grace, and he also still casts his perfect just judgments in each and every single last situation. It never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We change. So... With that, I feel like I love that story of Jonah. It was so specific and so simple. And with Jonah and him not wanting God to save these people because of how wrong they are to him, that's something you face. I want to say, I don't want to say as an early Christian because it can happen at any point in your Christian life, but it's definitely something that you will face as a Christian. When there's so many people who are wrong and there's so many people who are doing whatever they want to do, they're against God, they curse his name, they curse you, they punish you, they oppress you, they make you look dumb, they laugh at you, they mock you, they mock God, they do whatever they want to do. And then when it comes down to it, God is like, I want to save them too. I forgive them for all that they've done. There are going to be no grudges held against them. And if you're with me, you're going to accept them like I accept them and you're going to love them like I love them. And that's just what it is. I don't care if you have a problem with it, because guess what? We all deserve mercy and grace. Every single last one of us deserve it. And forgiveness. And that's why God gave his perfect, precious, begotten son, Jesus, to come and die on the cross for us. Because we all deserve that forgiveness, and he decided that. So he's just, he's perfect. He knows what he's doing. We don't. At that point... You know, it's so refreshing. It's so refreshing because it's like, as you're reading through the Bible, you're saying, yeah, 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 you know, this is so perfect. This is so right. God is so right about this. And I know this and I know that. And I love him for everything that he does. But what about these people who hate me just for doing your work? What about these people who hurt me for doing your work? What about these people who antagonize me what about these people who target me all of this different stuff that i have to go through at the hands of them and then you want to save them they don't get any consequences for what they've done but let me turn back after everything i've known and i've learned from you and go do what they're doing i get all consequences for that and god that's why this is why this is so refreshing to hear about this story of jonah because jonah he faced the consequences of being disobedient to god he turned his back on God. He went the opposite direction that God told him to go in. And he was thrown into a sea and then swallowed by a fish for three days. And he never did truly apologize to God. He just said that he would do what God asked him to do. And when he showed up to the city of Nineveh, he even did it with an attitude. He didn't do it with a smile on his face. He was not happy to do it. He was still upset. He still was, you know... He still groaned about it. He still complained. And we all know God has a very low tolerance for that. But he's merciful and he's gracious. 
So in the midst of everything, while Jonah is hating that he has to even be the person to do this, he's like, pick somebody else or just kill me. I'd rather die. Jonah would have rather died than save these people. That's how much he hated them. That's how much he hated their situation, what they did, how they mocked God, how they mocked him and all of their sin. And that's how much he hated God for helping them. He'd rather die. This is so important because we oftentimes we get that feeling, that urge, that spirit that we hate God for what he is allowing. I hate you for letting them get away with this. I hate you for forgiving them after they've done this. I hate you for not, you know, distributing the consequences that I see fit, even though I don't know anything and you know everything. That's what we do as humans. We think that we can do God's job better than him. We think that we can cast more perfect judgments and no perfect judgment has ever been made better than God's. There has never been a more perfect judgment than God's judgment, which is why we have to keep our hands off of situations. We have to let him handle it. You cannot do that on your own. You cannot touch that. Keep your hand off of it. Just like when you were a kid and you first touched that hot stove and you knew not to never touch that ever again, treat it like that. That's a hot stove. Keep your hand off of it. You're going to get burned. Because at the end of the day, I know you think you're right. And I'm sure that you have every logical reason to feel that way. Maybe they are wrong. Maybe what they're doing is wrong. Maybe they have been wrong. But that's not for you to judge. The Bible says, take the log out of your own eye before you can take the speck out of someone else's because only then will you be able to see clearly. You can't even see if they're really wrong or not because you don't see the bigger picture. You don't see all that's going on. You don't see every single little intricate detail that led up to them making that decision. And if you can't, then what makes you any better than them? Take your hand off of the situation. God sees it. God knows what's going on. He's doing what's necessary. You have to trust that. And if you don't trust that, you don't trust God. You can't ever assume that you're doing what's right when you don't have the capacity to do what's right. Because if you had the capacity, excuse me, you can do what's right. But if you had the actual capability to do what's right or what's better or what's greater than God can do it, then you would have his job. You don't have his job. You can't have his job. And that's not to make you feel any kind of way. That's just to say, accept that he is the perfect person for the job. Let him do his job. You do yours. And the only job that you have is not judging your brothers, accepting them for no matter what, forgiving them no matter what, and loving each other no matter what. The only job you have is to follow the words in that Bible. That's the only job you have. You don't have no other job. So when you assume the position of casting judgments or inflicting consequences on your own accord, you need to understand you're the only one who gets burnt. You're the only one who gets hurt in that situation. And as much as you think you're right, how could you ever see clearly? You have a log in your eye. And who's the only person who can truly remove that log? In the manner it needs to be removed. Because you think you're removing a log and you got a few more. The only person who can make help you to see clearly is God. And by then you'll see clear enough to know that you'll never be in a position to judge your brother or your sister. 
that you'd never even be able to because you don't know better than them. We are both learning. We are all learning. We are all making mistakes. And since none of us are perfect, none of us are free of sin, none of us are free of mistake, none of us can tell each other what to be doing in this life. Now, you would say, well, then how can, you know, somebody teach anybody anything? How can you, you know, help somebody? What you do is you refer them to the word of God, which is unfailing. That's what you do. Excuse me. Have scripture to back it up. Read what's in the Bible for what it is. And that's just that. That's it. Nothing else. And if you're talking about me, if you're like, well, you're not doing that or you're not, you know, it seems like you could work on that. I know. That's the point. It's all in the knowing. I know that I need to work on that. I know that we all need to work on that. Excuse me. Let me not put you in it. I know I need to work on that. And that's what I'm trying to do. This is something that I'm trying to see for, I'm trying to see through. I'm trying to see this through. And it's going to take my whole lifetime. I realize that. I'm never going to be done working on this and neither are you. We cannot judge each other. All sin is equal. You're not better than me. I'm not better than you. You don't have the ability to see past what I can see. No matter how much you think you can. You don't have that ability. Only God does. God sees everything for what it is at all times. And he handled that situation the way he saw fit. So when you put your hand in a situation, the only thing you're doing is creating more consequences and more things for you to have to deal with at a later time. If not immediately. And that's that's what you can't do. That's the problem. So I'm not ever going to go and snatch a cigarette out of somebody's mouth. I'm not ever going to go and, you know, you know, snatch a credit card out of a credit scam, credit card scammer's hand. I'm not going to go and tackle an abuser. I'm not going to go do all these things because when you do all these things, you're placing yourself in the middle of something that you don't have control over. You're telling yourself that you have the ability to stop something or do something or put yourself in between something that you cannot do. You cannot do that. And then when you get consequences, then when it seems like everything is hurting you and everything is, you know, blowing up in your face and everything is going wrong in your life. The first thing you want to say is, God, I thought I was doing what was right. I thought I was doing what needed to happen. Why am I the one suffering? And the entire time, God is like, because I didn't ask you to do that. What I asked you to do was pray for them. What I asked you to do was read your Bible and mind your business. Yes, I asked you to refer them to me. I didn't ask you to go do it yourself. Do what I asked you to do. Keep it simple. Because at the end of the day, you're only making things harder on yourself. And when you're thinking you're helping me, what you need to understand is when you think you're even helping God, like in that manner where you try and go do things on your own, you need to understand you're placing limits on God. Because what makes you think that God needs you to do that if he didn't tell you to? You think that God can't handle it? You think that God not, God's not handling it? You think that God who sees everything is not in full control of that as well as you, as well as everybody else? Why does he need you to go do this in, in, in particular out of all the people he could have commissioned to do that? What makes you think that he needed you to suit up and boot up and go do that? 
Now, the only time God will ever suit you up and boot you up to do anything is to suit up and boot up and get on your knees and pray for them. That's it. That's all you can do. And if you're doing that and that's all, then you're great. That's keep doing that. Just keep praying for them. But don't ever go and physically try to put your hands or any other way. Try and put your hands on a situation. Because I have to mention that it's not just physical. A lot of times it's spiritual as well. There's people who's putting witchcraft. There's people who are seeking, you know, outside, you know, um, resources outside of God because they feel like God is not doing his job. And God is doing his job. You're not doing yours. So that's what that's what our responsibility is as a people. That's what our responsibility is as brothers and sisters. You need to put yourself, not even put yourself in a position because that may be hard to do. You just need to understand that you're not in God's position. You don't see the bigger picture. You don't see what's really going on. You don't see everything. And one thing I've noticed that in both situations, when I have placed my hand on a situation and when I haven't, both times God has shown me why. The answer to why and the outcome of that and what was necessary. When I placed my hand on a situation, God showed me, you did that and now you ruined this. This was a better outcome and now you're also going to have to answer for what you've actually contributed to. But then once I decided to keep my hands off a situation and stay to myself, God said, now look what you have avoided. And look at the perfect outcome that I have provided because you decided to do what it is I told you to do. And each and every single time, guess what? He was right. So at that point, you know, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's so hard for us to do that. It's so hard for us to accept, you know, that we're not always right. Oftentimes we're not ever right. And I know it's very, very, very hard to, you know, let go of your pride, your vain, your vanity, and your arrogance with thinking you have control or power over a situation or that you can control the outcome of something just to find out you don't have control over anything, not even your own life. We have a responsibility. So the best thing for you is to you know, keep it to yourself, stay to yourself, keep your hands to yourself. And if you ever want to put your hand on the situation, pray on it, pray on the situation. Now don't pray on the situation before you go put your hands on it. No, pray on the situation and leave it at that. That's how you put your hands on a situation. You pray on it because when you pray on it, you're accepting and you're admitting that I can't do anything in this situation, but ask God to help you. The only thing that I can do to help this situation is ask the only person who can help you to do something. Treat it like when you're a child and, you know, another child or another brother, or another sister, another friend, etc. They got themselves into something only an adult can get them out of. You don't go and try to do it yourself. You go and get the adult. We are all children to God because God is not limited or bound by time, but we are. So no matter how old you think you are, you are his child forever. So go and get the adult in the situation. Go and get God. 